We are on! Can you believe we are recording episode 7 of the Skin Collective podcast? Jennifer, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Jazz? I'm very good. We are still in the middle of pandemic, but we are hanging on and staying home and being safe. So yeah, let's get this show on the road. We're ready to go. So today we are going to talk about rosacea. This is something that I would say we get questions about quite often. Um, whenever I put out or we put out a request for what people would like for us to discuss, rosacea always comes up. It's usually the number one thing that people <laughs> want us to talk about, which I understand because it's a, it's a big problem. It's definitely something that a lot of people deal with. When I was preparing for this podcast, I was looking at a little bit of stats and I saw that there's actually 10% of the world that deal with rosacea. Can you believe it? I actually can. Rosacea is actually one of the most common skin conditions that we talk about or hear about. And so it happens to pretty much everyone to a certain degree. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, and it isn't just about being sensitive or having sensitive skin, which is why rosacea is so exciting for us to be talking about today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, because we are Canadian, <laughs> I read that there was actually 2 million Canadians that deal with rosacea. And I forget what the population of Canada is, but regardless, 2 million people is a lot of people. And I think that it's something to say probably with where Canada is placed on the map with, uh, you know, the four seasons that we go through. Yeah, that definitely has an impact. Well, it was interesting. A few years ago, I'd done an article for, I want to say, a newspaper of some sorts here in Canada, and we were talking about skincare tips depending on where you live. Yeah. So from BC to the Maritimes, to Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, what have you. And we were, I don't know if you remember, but we were taken aback with how many sufferers of rosacea there are in the prairies and in those areas due to the, you know, the dry air, the cold and what. So, so yeah, it's, a very big issue for most and it can be very frustrating mm -hmm. and debilitating for some. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's get into it. What is rosacea? What do you think? How would you describe rosacea as a skin guru, Jen? Well, first of all, it's chronic. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that's really, really important to say. It is a chronic issue. So it's a long lasting, some would even call it a skin disease. If for some, it can affect their quality of life. We see different levels of, of rosacea, meaning for some people, uh, the rosacea could be more of just redness. Some people, it'll sting. Some people will actually have full on breakout. So there's different levels, right, of, of mm -hmm. rosacea. So it's I can't really give a full-on definition because I think later we'll talk a little bit more about that, about exactly what you see on the skin. But for me, I would really more concentrate more on the flushing, the burning, and, and you know, the redness, but not in correlation to sensitivity, if that makes any sense. Because there's a difference between sensitive skin and rosacea. So you can be sensitive prone to different ingredients or different elements, but it doesn't mean you have rosacea. 
I think that's really good that you made the differentiation between the two from the get-go because sometimes I feel like some people might self-diagnose with rosacea when in fact they might only have sensitive skin. So the difference is rosacea is chronic. It's something that will reoccur. So it comes in waves. And then uh, sensitive skin could just be like after you work out, let's say you're a bit flush, like that kind of thing. So interesting fact about rosacea is also the the fact that it affects mostly women. Yes. Of course. (laughs) And um, often people with fair skin between the ages of 30 and 50 years old. And I thought when I was looking into that, that that was interesting because often you'll have, you know, women that perhaps never had any skin issues and then all of their 20s, they never dealt with anything too intense with their skin. And then they hit the 30s. (laughs) And then some things can start to change. And often it'll be in the skin. I know some women deal, you know, with what they like to call adult acne and that kind of thing. And But I know that rosacea is a big thing that can happen starting in your 30s. Right. And uh, there's also a lot to be said about uh, the Northern and Eastern European descent. Definitely. Yeah. And I'd like for you to talk about that because it, you know, you're partly Finnish and I know that there's a lot more redness that can occur in people from Finland. So yeah, why don't you share? <laughs> well, and, and the redness is is an issue for some. If, if it's just a fluctuating blushing, that's fine. So I think that's where we need to differentiate. It's where the redness will start to come. And then you see that the skin or the capillaries might look broken. They're not really broken, but we a lot of people, that's how we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them. And then for some, you'll start seeing bumps. And it's when those bumps start to appear that people will often get quite disturbed because they're like, I'm in my 30s, my skin should be flawless. And now I have this constant redness, this burning sensation. And why isn't it not going away? So of course, it is something that is more seen in in Caucasian skin. So mm-hmm. Northern European descent, a lot of, you know, it has a lot to do with the paleness of the skin, the way the capillaries are closer to, to the surface. We could go on about different findings as to why the disease will affect certain people and and not others. There's not really any exact science as to why one would be affected and another wouldn't be. That's the crazy part about it. I know. It's so crazy. There's kind of no real source, like no real evidence as to why someone gets rosacea over the other, which I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, I know that there's like, you know, when we talk about what causes rosacea, of course, genetics, where your parents or grandparents and so on are are from and also what your parents skin potentially is like right and also environmental so we were saying at the beginning of the episode where you live will greatly maybe affect your chances of developing rosacea or not so it's interesting that nobody's been able to pinpoint the specifics of it like we can predict you will get rosacea over someone else so it's a very interesting condition well and the thing is is that when we talk about triggers or when we talk about how all of this starts to happen, for some people, there's been some findings where postmenopausal for women that, you know, the problem kind of resolves itself. So it's a very interesting question in regards to a molecular level, what that inflammatory or the increased inflammatory process is doing to the skin to trigger that whole, the whole rosacea aspect. So I find it's a very interesting um, Mm. 
issue. I know that when I would see clients in the treatment room, and I, I know you remember this, and I get very excited about rosacea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> clients didn't think it was as exciting as I did, but for uh, me, it was yeah. trying to figure out the, you know, wh- why is the skin reacting and can we make that skin barrier function healthier? Why is it so poor? Why mm-hmm. is it, right? Because there's that whole aspect of if we can strengthen that barrier, it might be less reactive from those external assaults, right? So, yeah, absolutely. So, there's the sad news, I guess, is that there's no cure or like anything that can 100% cure your rosacea like a magic wand. But like you were saying, there are a lot of things that we can kind of put our little skin detective hats on right? <laughs> and trace back what could potentially be uh, triggering and hindering and causing some of you know your skin to, to behave that way. So it's a very complex thing. There are different types of rosacea. Yes. There are, in a nutshell, about four kinds. Right. I think there might be more, but let's focus on four kinds today. So did you want to start uh, with the first two? So the first one is one that we see most often. So it's it's what we call facial redness. We have a bit of flushing, visible blood vessels. Um, usually it'll be more in the center of the face. Mm. The skin might seem swollen and it can feel sensitive, like very sensitive, not only to touch, but just within within yourself. I always say you should never really feel your skin within you. So if you're feeling that you're flushed and you're feeling warmth, it's because there's something going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because on a day-to-day basis, you don't really feel your skin, so to speak. Yeah. Um, for a lot, you'll start seeing a lot of dryness. So the skin will get dry, there's roughness, and there's off- often scaling that will happen. For some people, they'll notice that they'll flush a lot easier than normal. So for someone who would sit in on a meeting at some point and not have any issues, maybe during a meeting now, you'll be flushing and be going, what's why am I, why am I purple? What's happening? Um, so that's like the subtype one that we, we talk a lot about. So the, the subtype one, sorry to yep. interrupt, but it's a really long word. I'm not going to attempt to say that, but I think they call it ETR rosacea. Yes, they do. They do. That's the shorter way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The thing is we're not derms. We're just going to be like subtype one, two, yeah. three, four, I think. Let's just do it that way. Exactly. We're not going to offend anybody or... Yeah. The second one, did you want me to jump in or you want to... Go for it. Jump for it. Yeah. Go so the it. second one is more kind of like a pap postular kind of rosacea, um, it's often misdiagnosed as acne. And I think that's really important to point out, um, especially when I was talking earlier about like the self-diagnosed thing. This is where you can get very confused because you see little pimples, pustules, whatever, like little bumps and that kind of thing on the skin. And you might think, oh, I have acne. I need to go buy everything for (laughs) acne prone skin when in fact, it's actually a type of rosacea. So that's when sometimes oilier skin types maybe will get affected by that. And um, it can also cause some raised patches of skin. Yes. The skin can be like very red and inflamed. And like I was saying, it's very much confused with acne like breakout. So I know that different areas that can be affected is, of course, the like around the nose and the cheeks often, but also the forehead. I feel like between the brow area on top, you can see some of those little 
postular type breakouts there. So I think the number one thing is maybe not try to extract them. <laughs> you definitely. It's not going to help. And don't experiment. Like don't experiment with products. It's not the time. Exactly. This is where a derm can definitely come in handy. The third one is something that you actually taught me back in the day, Jen. So I'd love for you to jump in on that one. The bumpy skin texture. <laughs> oh, no. I meant the oh, ocular the ocular rosacea. Oh, the ocular rosacea. I had never heard about this until I started working with you over eight years ago. And I was like, wow, that's a thing. Yeah. So the ocular rosacea is a type of rosacea that actually will affect the eye. Mm. And um, it's really important to see an ophthalmologist if you think this is happening to you. So oftentimes the eye will feel like it's gritty, like if you have sand in your eyes. So um, crazy. And the eyes are very dry. They may itch, very sensitive to light for some as well. And you'll when you look at the eye, you see like visibly, it's got sort of what we call... Uh, blood vessels, like even on the eyelid. And it's actually very important that you get attention for that. So mm. the ocular rosacea is not something that we see that much of. Yeah. So like your eyes will be dry and itchy, maybe watery, yeah. like yeah. bloodshot. That's crazy. I mean. It is, it is. And that's that's something to look for. That's why seeing a dermatologist is so important if you think you aren't sure if you have acne or redness or sensitivity, or if you think it's an onset of rosacea, because mm. you don't want to get ocular rosacea. You, you, you want it checked and you want it monitored. So sometimes it's just a few things that you can change following the doctor's mm -hmm. protocol or different products, you know, and we can get into that later. But ocular is something that you definitely need to make sure that you see an ophthalmologist with. Yeah, which is interesting because I could see how that could be misinterpreted for potentially allergies and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. it's important to be, you know, well aware as to what's happening with your eyes. And then the last one is one that we were touching on it quickly. It often affects the nose. It's when you see that like the nose, potentially the skin will get a lot thicker. Uh, you see like enlarged pores, broken blood vessels, thicker skin. And then often that's where there's like bumpiness and unevenness in the texture that takes place. That's usually probably one of the easiest ones to notice or diagnose because it's quite obvious when there's something with the skin that's not right in that area. Yeah, that's also something that definitely like a derm would need to be involved. So in a nutshell, like there is, you know, four, let's say main subtypes. And what I've noticed, the common thing between all of them is that it'll often affect the color, the texture and the thickness of the skin. So rosacea will really hit those three key things. And the Renofina that you were talking about is really interesting because back in the day, many, many moons ago, I remember when I did my um, aesthetic schooling 25 plus years ago, we would call that AKA Brandy Nose. Oh, that's, I remember this too from my class. Yeah. Um, and it's actually not necessarily correct to say that because there's not necessarily a correlation. You don't necessarily, not because you have the Renofina or the rosacea on the nose that you have issues with brandy. So I just wanted to clarify, but it, that used to be what we would call it. That's absolutely true. I remember that a lot of people associate that with alcohol and it doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, alcohol won't help, <laughs> but it doesn't, one doesn't equal the other. So yeah, it's true. I remember in that term, <laughs> but hopefully they've changed that term. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
So let's talk about some triggers. So let's say you're recognizing yourself in some of these skin characteristics. What should you be very mindful of? What are things that could trigger or not help your rosacea and perhaps cause some flare-ups? So one thing that's important to note is that rosacea can occur in all skin colors. I think that's important to say. It's maybe more rare, but it can happen as well. And the the warning signs will be the same. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, some of the triggers that most of us will be aware of or know of would be uh, heat. Yes. So any sun, right? So going outside and and getting some sun, that's something that you want to avoid. It is a trigger. Another really big trigger is stress. So much. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you, girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) We're nuts. No, absolutely. I mean, stress, uh, is it good for anything? Probably not, including no, your skin. <laughs> no. And then, you know, we I said it a bit earlier, but don't experiment with products. Uh, products is another big trigger. People don't mm. realize it. You, people think, oh, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And then it just kind of, it's just not necessarily a good thing mm. to, um, so for some, it might be food and beverages, like depending on what you're eating, what you're drinking. That's Mm. why I love the concept of having a journal. Yeah. Write everything down, what you're eating. So if you have a flare up, what did you do the day before? And I think that that way you can have an easier control over avoiding those things that are Mm. causing the issues. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. I think once you have a sense of awareness and connection with your skin, it changes everything. I think it's easy to get in the habits of slapping some products on (laughs) or doing the same thing, eating, you know, the spiciest taco of your life and not kind of connecting that perhaps it's affecting your skin. I feel like once you take a moment to connect and understand, you know, the link, it really changes the relationship you have with your skin. So yeah, in terms of triggers when it comes to rosacea, stress, even strenuous exercise, which I mean, sometimes like it happens. And like, for example, I'm really running a lot lately. Of course, I'm flushed when I am done running, but it's something I know will go away, but I'm able to correlate. Okay, you just ran a lot. You just, you know, raised your heartbeat for so many minutes or whatever. Of course, we touched on it. Alcohol will never help any kind of sensitive skin issues. It doesn't mean don't enjoy yourself, but it's something that if you can make that link, perhaps you're going to choose different drinks. There's caffeine too. I know that certain coffee types... I know Jen at the office when uh, we were there, (laughs) we (laughs) would sometimes try different coffee brands and certain brands would like make our cheeks. We would joke, we would say our cheeks would blow up because the the type of caffeine or the amount of caffeine, I'm not sure. It was too much for those blood vessels, right? (laughs) Right. They were just throbbing. (laughs) Um, There's also uh, medication and this doesn't mean stop your medication, but it's just sometimes there's a sensitivity that can settle in with certain medication. And I think it's important to be mindful if let's say it's something that you need to take for whatever reason then perhaps adjust certain things in your life that take into consideration the fact that you are indeed taking a medication and then there's also interesting things like the the humidity and I think it's interesting that we're doing this 
podcast. Now it's going to be fall. I don't know whenever you will be listening to this podcast, but it is going to be fall shortly here in Canada mm-hmm. when we're recording this. And let's talk about fall and rosacea because you know a thing or two about that. I, it's my favorite time of year, first of all. But when fall would roll around, we would be so happy because it was sweater weather and all these different things. But then the phone would start and we'd have <laughs> so many calls of people just not being able to get their skin under control. And so Mm -hmm. what happens is when the air starts to get drier, it will trigger a different kind of response for most people. It will most likely trigger trigger a flare-up if you do suffer from rosacea. Now, one person's flare-up or one person's trigger is not necessarily the same trigger for someone else. But the biggest issue is usually in the summertime, you know, people are sunbathing, doing different things. Um, They're using sunscreen, washing their skin. They might be uh, eating more fruits and vegetables, drinking more water. It's hotter out. But then come fall, it's sort of like everything goes back kind of to, I don't want to say normal because now it's pandemic, but still, you know what I mean? Mm. So what happens is- Yeah, I know uh, what you mean. it, It starts to get colder out and we wear warmer clothes. We start heating our homes and all of this heat and all this dry air dries up the skin moisture and those moisture levels that will be, it will be tricky. And so oftentimes we start switching our skincare habits in the fall as well, Mm. which is not necessarily something you're going to want to do because you always have to think that when you are working with rosacea skin, you want to repair. You want to repair your barrier all the time. And so when you're repairing your barrier, that's when it's going to have less of a trigger and a flare up. So if you are not thinking of that and the air is super dry and your skin is lacking moisture, then you're going to get more of a trigger. And so it's that, it goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's that correlation between what's happening in your, around you and your surroundings, what's happening inside of the body, and that correlation of what your skin is telling you. It's just trying to tell you something. It might be saying, you know what, a humidifier would be great in my bedroom while I sleep. Or maybe it might be saying, maybe sleep with the window open if you can do that to get some cooler air. So there's Mm. different things that we can be doing to help avoiding different materials on which we're sleeping on pillowcase wise, right? So you're going to want something that's more natural if possible. Look at getting any, whatever you're using to wash your linens, you are going to want them to be fragrance free. You know, think of, think of those kinds of things that will help your skin while you're sleeping at night, especially if you're going through a flare up. Mm, Yeah. I'm glad that you talked about like the humidity and the environment because the humidity really drops come fall, right? Oh yeah. Um, So that totally affects your skin and even things like scarves and mittens, uh, not mittens, but hats, you know, we're all into like the wool fabrics and different things, which is great, but you have to be mindful how much that's rubbing on your skin as we start bundling up. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, you put the scarf all the way to under your eyes because yes, in Montreal, it gets that cold. (laughs) And then sure enough, it's rubbing on your skin for however long your commute is. And that's drying up the surface and irritating the surface. So it's all these little things that are seem silly, but can make such a big difference. Definitely. Another thing that I thought of that sometimes maybe less people are putting on heavy foundation right now because we're more home. (laughs) Right. But uh, makeup brushes, uh, some of them can be not so soft, like they can be kind of 
harsh or a bit the bristles can be hard. And if you're, let's say, applying makeup that's, uh, who knows what's in there? We don't know. <laughs> like, could be all sorts of different dyes and different things and whatnot. Right. And if, let's say, your makeup brush is very abrasive and on top of it, let's say you're going really fast and rush, 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 that can totally irritate your skin. So it's something that Perhaps we do quickly in the morning. We don't really think about it, but maybe take a moment to think like, what's my makeup brush? What's it made of? What are my steps? Yeah. Right? Like, what are my steps when I'm applying that makeup? And is that makeup brush being cleaned? Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And speaking of cleaning, another thing that we will often tell people dealing with very reactive or rosacea type skin is the thick face cloth. Yes. To really put those away. Use that on your body if you want, but on your face, it's very irritating and it causes something that we call micro tears, which yes. then it kind of gets into a really bad um, like ricochet effect where one thing leads to another. Then you have sensitive skin, but you're also potentially letting bacteria in and so forth. Yeah. So I know, Jen, that's something you've often recommended in the past. Uh, put those big face gloss away. <laughs> those away. It's not time to use any mechanical anything. So, you know, even the mechanical brushes, the mechanical anything, scrub, anything you can think of. It, it's not, just think repair. Yeah. If, if you wanted to repair something at home or in anything else you're working on that you're repairing, you're not going to blow it up to then repair it, right? <laughs> exactly. So it's not time to blow up your skin. You want to treat it and manage it in the kindest, softest, gentlest way possible to avoid flare-ups. And the more you're mm. able to keep on top of it, the more you'll be able to learn how to live with rosacea comfortably because it'll just be part of just another thing. <laughs> yeah, another yeah, let's thing. yeah, let's talk about how to deal with it. Um, I know that you've given tons of advice over the year. What would be some of your top, like top of mind on how to deal and how to handle this sort of skin condition? Well, and you're going to want, like I said earlier, you want to use any moisturizers that will be helpful to the skin. So for a lot, we'll look for different, you know, serum eyes, or you look for something that's got glycerin in there, potentially, depending on, on how it is. You're going to make sure to wear sunscreen all year round. Uh, there are different medications also that are available. And I highly recommend that those conversations happen with a dermatologist. I don't think mm -hmm. it's something you should just take off a shelf. I think that needs to be uh discussed, but there are some incredible topical creams that are available now. So if you've tried everything and you're not able to get a result, it's worth talking to your dermatologist. There are meds out there that will actually, um, some oral medications that will actually help not only treat pimples, but there are other medications that will help uh, constrict the vascular aspect. So your blood vessels will be more constricted. So the flushing effect or the redness effect will be a lot less visible. Visible, mm. sorry. Yep. And for a lot of people, that's a really good thing. And then there are other technologies that are available, uh, special vascular lasers that exist as well that can do great results, uh, intense pulse light machines, LED devices. There are so many different ways that you can go about it on a professional level, mm. but from a home perspective, home use, I would say get your face cloths, get them white, um, as thin as possible, use the least amount of products as you can, cleanse mm -hmm. only at night, avoid anything that would be too zingy. So you don't want to use anything that's going to trigger 
a response. So you don't want to be using anything that's too anti anything. <laughs> yeah. Or too active. Right. Yeah. Think repair soothe. Exactly. Yeah. So same with exfoliation, because it's yes. something that a lot of people, I think, assume they need to do come fall. But if you have what you think is potentially rosacea, exfoliation to the bare minimum, if you can actually avoid it, your skin will thank you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, rosacea is definitely something that mentally and psychologically people can have a really hard time to deal with. And I can totally understand. I think in your mind, it's so much worse than maybe what it is. And it can kind of make people have a hard time behaving normally in society. I know it may, I may sound out there, but I've met those people. So it's true. <laughs> it, it, it really is true. It's proven. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's actually been reported that about three quarters of people that deal with rosacea have been diagnosed or whatever to have low self-esteem. It really plays on your confidence. And I know as women, sometimes, you know, it, it might be harder to get out there and apply for that job and do the things because we're always kind of, I'm generalizing right now, but sometimes we're very much second guessing ourselves. And when you have a skin thing that is also visible and makes you red and maybe makes people wonder like, oh, like, did she have a glass of wine before her interview? Right. Or, you know, is it poor hygiene? Why does she have breakouts? Like it can actually kind of stifle your growth as a person. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, like the skin saving powers, <laughs> like we wanted to like save the world when it comes to that, because that is just so heartbreaking. And I think it's good that more people are upfront about the rosacea and there's a lot more people that are open to talk about it. So there's less sort of like judgment around that condition, right? Because at the end of the day, it will affect a lot of people mentally and emotionally. And that's where we need to kind of destigmatize all of and the stigma around all these skin things that like I said at the beginning of the podcast, you're not alone. There's 2 million Canadians at least that are dealing with it. That's the thing. So just before we finish, I want to give a little list of certain things you might want to avoid in a cream. Love it. Yes. Let's be honest. In regards to skincare, I'm, I have to emphasize, you want to keep the moisture levels up. So you want to make sure your skin is well moisturized, but you're going to want to avoid or reduce buying any products that could irritate. So you're going to want to avoid anything with menthol. You're going to want to avoid lactic acid. You're going to want to avoid uh, glycolic acid. You're going to want to avoid fragrances. Now, fragrances are often tricky little things that are add-ons or extras in products that you don't really have the whole um, definition of. But for a lot of people, the fragrance will be included in a essential oil base, you know, so think lavender, etc. Uh, camphor is another one you're, you're going to want to avoid anything that's like eucalyptus or, or what have you. And then alcohol. So there is a difference between different kinds of alcohols, right? Mm -hmm. The fatty alcohols. But those would be your top ones that would be the most important to do. And you always want to choose a cream over a gel. Yes, that's very good. Yeah, you mentioned that. And they say that, I don't know why I'm saying they, but <laughs> um, I always they, say, who anyway? are they, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who are they? Um, but interestingly enough, once we would give people suggestions back in the day in the treatment room, a lot of the clients didn't want to use skincare, right? Because they'd had so many bad reactions mm. in the past. And so my whole thing was, 
first of all, if you're afraid it's going to irritate you or burn you, what you can do is test a small amount. So take a cotton swab, put a little bit on one area on your cheek or something, give it 72 hours and see how it responds. If you see it's fine, then you go for it, but you don't want to worsen it. So that means like no facial sponges, right? Like no scrubbing, no nothing. But when you're going to put it on your skin, your cream, do little tap, tap, taps, like go gentle. It's yeah. it's not the floor, right? So go gentle. And then the thing is, is that you want to take something that's got a cream because this cream is what's going to give you more moisture. Mm-hmm. And usually when people just do that and they add a cream and they start using it, um, within like so between two to three weeks there's already a huge improvement because the dryness is gone the flakiness is gone that 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 stinging effect is gone so it's really important be gentle while you're cleansing moisturize and use your sun protection and at the end of the day choose your makeup carefully yeah absolutely i think those are great tips and yeah so the goal is to control as much as possible your environment what you're putting on your skin what ingredients how you're you know behaving what you're taking not taking so yeah there's a way to really kind of get a control over the skin even with rosacea we have seen it time and time again so don't get discouraged if it's something that you're dealing with there really is life at the end of the skin tunnel (laughs) so thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you all for the next episode of the skin collective podcast bye Bye.